Welcome back to the Resurrection Church Podcast. Today, I am joined by Mike and Joanna Meeling, and we are going to talk about embryo adoption. So Mike and Joanna, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Our pleasure. Now, some people might wonder, why would you be qualified to talk with us about embryo adoption? I'm glad you asked, Aaron. Uh, you may not know this, but I used to be an embryo <laughs> a long time ago. Stop it. <laughs> True story. Uh, do you remember that? I don't, but <laughs> okay. um, my parents do probably. Um, <laughs> no, that is a good question. So uh, a little bit of background. Joanna and I have three wonderful daughters that are our genetic daughters. And in 2020, we adopted an embryo. And uh, he was born on December 2nd of 2020. And his name is Larson. And uh, we regularly tell people that he's the best decision we've ever made. So uh, thanks for giving us a chance to come on and share our story. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll be encouraging for people at our church and maybe just informative because I think a lot of people are like me where they don't know much about embryo adoption. And it wasn't until I heard you guys were pursuing that and had come up with a very nice Google Doc sheet with some fast facts about it that I became more interested in it. Um, so I, you know, I don't know what all of the politically correct ways of saying anything would be, if there are even politically correct, you know, terminologies surrounding this. So maybe you could just start us out with uh, giving me any of the right language that I should use for anything. So I don't say something that would not be right. Sure. Well, one of my favorite things to do is when someone asks us a question, I feign offense. <laughs> so my sister recently asked about Larson's genetic parents and I gave her a big gasp. I was like, oh, how dare you? <laughs> no, but um, it's just a joke. Um, we're pretty thick skinned with that because I know it is kind of new to most people we discuss it with. So we call it embryo adoption, but that's not technically what it's called. The medical community would always call this embryo donation, okay. even from our perspective which I think is really confusing because we are not donating an embryo, we are receiving an embryo. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, the country and states don't recognize embryos as legal persons. So it's not actually an adoption, but we like to use the term embryo adoption because we think it gives the embryo the proper personhood. Okay. Um, the other one that I hear a lot is people will often talk about this isn't all that important, but when you go to the process to actually transfer the embryo, it's called a transfer uh, rather than an implant. I say implants are for organs and transfers are for embryos. <laughs> okay. So you may also know embryo adoption as snowflake adoption. Yes. So that is often what it's referred to, maybe, maybe especially in the evangelical community. But so if you think about it, embryos are frozen like a mm -hmm. snowflake and they're all unique and wonderfully made like snowflakes. Yeah, we encountered one other couple who had pursued embryo adoption, and their fundraising for it was called uh, Baby Flurry or something like that. Nice. So yeah. it, it made sense. Well done. Yeah, so maybe you can talk us through, why would somebody pursue embryo adoption? Maybe from the perspective of couples that would be looking to have a child, but then also just from the reality that there are embryos out there that can be adopted. Yeah, so this was this is a, a fun question for us to answer why embryo adoption, because we're not the typical couple that would kind of go for this embryo adoption process. 
Most couples who are looking to adopt an embryo have been struggling with infertility one way or another. It could be, um, I don't know if they call it primary infertility or just straight up infertility, but, or sometimes people will have a baby or two babies and then struggle with fertility down the road. So that's secondary infertility. So that's one of the reasons why you would be looking to do this. We decided to do it because we had, we've always wanted to adopt. We think it's a really beautiful picture of what God has done for us. We've been grafted into his family, and I think it's a really sweet picture to the world, and I think it helps us to understand our own situation better also. It's also helped me with um, understanding Jews and Gentiles, like Geneva mm-hmm. and Bryn and Hope, they, those are our daughters. They've done nothing to deserve to be in our family, but people would maybe see them differently than Larson, but we are, you know, we grafted him into our family, which I just think is a really sweet picture. Um, I, so we've always wanted to adopt. We've always really appreciated life at this stage. So um, at the stage of conception, and we think that embryo adoption is a really good way of respecting life at this very early stage, which I think can sometimes get a little muddled with um, different, um, well, going through IVF and everything can be very complicated. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes conception or implantation, that can get a little confusing for even Christians. And so Mm -hmm. we thought this was a good way to respect life at that stage. And I also love, for the most part, being pregnant. I get a really bad back in pregnancy, so (laughs) there's that. But I love giving birth. I love nursing. And so that's a way to um, enjoy those precious gifts while still adopting. So it's kind of a special, special thing. So we have, like, I have sisters and we have friends that get um, really sick for, like, not just the first trimester, but most of the pregnancies. And that has never been Joanna. She would a little bit of morning sickness for a few weeks in the first trimester, and that's it. So it really lined up well with our desire to adopt. Um, her doing well with pregnancies and deliveries. Um, and then also just seeing a need and a problem in our country, which is there's about a million or so, there's probably not a real accurate count, but there's about a million frozen embryos that are basically left over and they have no definite future. So there's a need there for parents to step in and fill that role. And so that was something we were excited to do. and. I'd say one of our chief aims was to help while doing that raise awareness. So um, we had never really known anyone firsthand that had done this. Um, and we, we don't want it to be super rare so that mm-hmm. no one knows about it. And so um, right now at our church, there's another couple that are in their final trimester with an embryo that they adopted after hearing our story. So uh-huh. that's exciting and love to see more of that. Yeah, so talk to us about why there are so many frozen embryos. Obviously, you guys aren't uh, scientists, ethicists. You're just normal Christians who are engaged in thinking about these things and now taking action steps to maybe provide solution to at least one one millionth of the problem and encouraging others to step up and do the same. So how does this happen? Yeah, I'd say the big thing is that the uh, America, the United States is really the wild, wild west for um conception and fertility treatments. And so even um, based on what we know, European countries even have more strict standards and restraints in place. Um, Here, you can really make as many embryos as you would like to. Hmm. Um, And so the the process of making the embryos initially is very expensive, and you're not ever guaranteed a live birth from it. And so I think 
traditionally people have erred on making many embryos so that they don't have to go back through the expensive process of starting over again. So instead of making three and hoping for two or three babies, they'll make a dozen or two dozen and hope for two or three babies just to make sure if the first few don't work and they can maybe choose the healthiest looking embryos and go from there. And so that's where we are, where there's many, many leftover frozen embryos. Because what happens is people, so the doctor will make, you know, so, so many embryos with a couple who's going through an IVF cycle and say the first two work and they, you know, they're like, oh, we only wanted two babies and now we have eight extra embryos. And so they now find themselves in a situation of they could destroy these embryos. Um, they could donate them to science. So those two options, we would, we would say that, that that's not a good thing because we, these are actual babies. They're not eggs. Like they have, they have everything that they need right now to be a full person. Mm-hmm. if they're fortunate enough to be transferred into a womb. Like, you could even know the baby's gender at this point. So these are little babies. So those first two options, we would say, are not good. But then they could donate them to um, other people or just keep them frozen. And I think, um, so donating them to other people, if you think about it, that I mean, that can be kind of daunting. Mm-hmm. It can be arduous. And um, thinking about giving our embryos to somebody else to raise like what if they're you know what if they're abusive and um it's just kind of a heavy thing so a lot of people are not comfortable with that and so a lot of people just keep them frozen just kind Mm. of unsure what to do and so i think that's where a lot of people are but i think as um embryo adoption is becoming more well known um hopefully more and more people will put their embryos up for adoption okay so i have two really dumb questions probably no dumb questions number one is How does that work? I know in the medical world, they're not saying it's an adoption, it's a transfer. Is there like a way that all these embryos are registered? Because obviously if you're dealing with a born child, there's a birth certificate and there's like a process of transfer of belonging. How, what does that look like for frozen embryos? Okay, I don't really know the answer to that question, but I mean, I'm guessing it's just reporting that somebody somewhere gets from these fertility clinics. So, you know, as they're doing, as they're going through this process with couples, if they have extra embryos, they have to pay to freeze them. So probably these clinics know of a medical facility that does this type of storage, and then they have to pay for it. So I'm guessing that these places report on how many embryos there are. But I don't know that it's necessarily very accurate. I mean, I've seen anywhere from like 500,000 to a million. So it's really kind of all okay. over the place. Um, so that I think you kind of are answering my second question, which is where are these embryos stored? Because I'm imagining like an underground freezer vault, very sci-fi <laughs> somewhere in Arizona. You know, where, how does this happen? So embryos are very, very small. Um, it was kind of fun having the conversation with my dad, who's a grandpa, he has 24 now grandkids. And to him, wow. this was, you know, it's sci-fi. It is. Like, yeah. This is crazy. This is a crazy time to be alive. Our parents and grandparents never had to ask ethical questions about embryo adoption because no one ever heard about it. But he was like, so Mike, you're telling me that embryo can fit on the head of a pin. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're very, very small. So my understanding is most of them are just stored in fertility clinics on site would be my assumption. Okay. So 
probably just like people's store, you know, sperm for yep. future pregnancies, things like that. I think it's it's similar. Okay. So we probably shouldn't be imagining like a giant vial of some kind of serum keeping an embryo alive for, you know, a really long time. Probably freezer. Maybe like Bill Gates' okay. embryos are. <laughs> yeah, that could somewhere. be. Um, okay. That, that makes sense. So... Um, I could maybe hear someone say, well, if you start adopting or transferring an embryo, aren't you just making it like more normal and okay? Like people can soothe their consciences that it's fine to go through this process because maybe someone someday will take care of this for us. Was that a question you guys had or a a question you guys got? (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. I mean, I remember kind of going halfway through this process and being like, okay, are we just a cog in this giant machine making it go faster and easier? And it was something that we had to wrestle with for sure. So one thing to consider is I do, okay, I don't have really any research necessarily to back this up, but just sort of anecdotally, it does seem like doctors are being more careful these days. I mean, it really (laughs) honestly used to be like, surprise, here's 20 embryos. And then they used to transfer like three at a time. And, you know, you've got women having triplets, which is so precious, but really not ideal. Like it's, that's not super safe for the woman. It's not super safe for the babies. So I think, um, I think through the nineties and early two thousands, doctors were awakened to this idea that maybe we should be a little more careful. So mm-hmm. hopefully hopefully it's slowing down somewhat. Um, but also we just kind of fell back on this idea that there are frozen embryos out there. People are going to adopt them. It should be the church. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we came back to. Yeah, that's that's a good answer to that question, I think, because there's, there's a maybe problem isn't the right word because we're talking about people. But there's a there's a need, and if anyone's going to take responsibility for it, Christians are probably in the best position to do that. Um, so what were some other questions you guys had as you started entering that process, questions that people asked you as you started to let people know you were pursuing this? Yeah, I think similar to the one you just asked was, are we um, participating just like you know, we had to write checks for this and some of them were big checks and they were mm-hmm. going to a clinic that is, you know, doing things that we probably at best would say has some serious ethical questions. And so I think on our behalf, um, we just wanted to do what we could in our lives that we thought was faithful to God and then trust mm-hmm. the rest to him. And um, if you recall, when we went through the process, we were um, really sharing our story as much as we could to have people pray for Larson that he would be a live birth because we were only really going to try it once. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, again, to raise awareness. And so um, we made a, a short little video for our church that we shared. We have this Google Doc that answers a lot of questions. We um, we often will tell people when they ask about him because he does stand out a little bit from the girls. And so um, I think we're trying to hope that through all of this, more it'll be kind of a greater good would be done. I also remember our one of our best friends, Guy, asking us, knowing that a child who is born and an embryo that they are that they have equal personhood. What about the fact that the child that's born has like felt needs? So, perhaps a child in a third world country 
that perhaps you're passing over in order to, you know, bring this em- or give this embryo life. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think it really just comes back to these are both good things and you don't always have to analyze every single detail and then pick the absolute morally best one. It's more just these are both good things. This is something that we care very much about. As we discussed earlier, we really care about life at this stage. I love being pregnant, mm-hmm. all of these things. This is what we felt was uh, something that we really wanted to do. And we think it's a good thing. And we're so glad that we did it. Yeah. And to be crystal clear, we certainly are not saying or endorsing in any way that embryo adoption is better or superior Mm -hmm. or more important than traditional adoption. For sure. We would say that the church should be doing traditional adoption. They should be having their own children. They should be fostering children in need. Uh, We should be supporting with our money children. And hopefully we can be adopting some embryos as well. Yeah, I think that would be a little bit of an unfair question to say which was more important or the higher moral good. I don't know that anyone could answer that question. That that would be really tough, especially because, you know, you're working within broken systems in both of them. So it's not like the money that you would pay is going for a Christ kingdom cause, you know, along the way. It's just we're all dealing with broken situations and you can only do a piece of that. You know, not everyone, not one person can fix all of the adoption issues. Right. Right. For sure. So, um, so as you guys got started, you've mentioned the financial cost to this. Was this something that you guys were like, okay, let's save up money for a long time and then we're just ready for it. Did you ask other people to support you financially as you did this How did you think about that piece of it? Good question. Thank you. So we, first off, um, we are super open about everything. So if any of your listeners have questions, no matter how specific, pass on our information. We'd love to answer. Um, All in, the total adoption process cost about Mm $10,000. Okay. It was was pretty much right at ten. We could Mm -hmm. spend much of that, uh, pay for much of that with our HSA. So it's kind of pre-tax. So that helps. That, that is shockingly low to me. Yeah. I, is, I don't know if I just didn't pay attention as you guys were talking about this other times, but I was imagining, I was thinking you were about to say 50,000. So traditional adoption, when you, if you have, if you and your wife had to fly to China twice mm-hmm. for a week at a time and you have to pay for home studies and that's what we're in lawyer fees. Yeah, the all, lawyers. So we are. were able to <laughs> bypass all of that. No lawyers, no home studies, no travel. Okay. Really. So you I know, guess that's the nice thing about them not believing these are people. Exactly. Is yep. you know, they don't care anyway. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Legally they are not people. So legally it's not an adoption. This is really I mean, this is very similar to getting a liver. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. So, so HSA, you it's can a use... Medical, it's in vitro, basically. So huh. yeah, we could spend, pay for most of the bills with the HSA. It's things like ultrasounds and shots and hormones and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were in a position where we did not need to crowdsource money, but um, that would be a great idea for someone who wanted to pursue it and didn't have 10,000 laying around. And we've contributed to those. And um, I think that would be a great idea for someone who wants to move forward, but doesn't have the money saved. Yeah. I think 10,000 is probably pretty much the minimum that where you could do this. Cause I mean, so we ended up, we can, you'll probably get into this later, but we ended up going to an anonymous donation clinic. Mm-hmm. But if you did get embryos donated from a private, from a family, 
So there's no, like, ad, we paid it like an admin fee. I'm putting quotes up for this is a, it's <laughs> yeah. a podcast. It's radio, um, not television. Exactly. So if you could get the embryos, then the transfer itself probably costs five to seven. So I guess it's possible to come in under 10. So that's kind of like the cost of just having a kid. So we also had to pay for the birth. Well, yeah, you got to pay for oh, the birth. Oh, so yeah, I so guess so. Just, <laughs> but just the part of yeah, being yeah, yeah. pregnant was like yep. 10 grand, yep. which traditionally is free. Right. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, but and then and then there was the labor and delivery and and uh, all all of that. But yep. okay, yes, but the so the thing is, you pay ten grand, but you might not get a live baby by the end of it. You know what okay. I mean? So you might not even get pregnant. So yep. I mean, many people will go through this process. They get their embryo, they prepare, they do all the hormones, all the shots, and they go to transfer. And you know, for whatever reason, the baby doesn't stick. And mm-hmm. and so then you know that. So the deal with regular adoption, um, traditional adoption, I guess we should say, is that you pay a ton of money and you for sure get a child afterward. But here you pay 10 grand to get an embryo and you may or may not end up with a live baby. Okay, so for people interested in pursuing this, it's not like you would say, hey, I would like to do this and there are a million embryos out there and we'll just, I pay my $10,000 fee and we just keep trying to something works. It'd be 10,000 for every attempt. Okay. And I believe the statistics were about 55% of the time. Get a positive pregnancy test. Okay, so 55% mm-hmm. get pregnant. Which I don't know that they ever gave me their live birth. Does not obviously mean a live birth because mm-hmm. it would be a miscarriage. Um, we were confident that Joanna's uh, odds ought to be higher <laughs> because she had already delivered three children. And so we were yep. pretty sure she, you know, she's a pretty pretty good environment for a pregnancy and a live birth. Okay. So it worked out. So you mentioned that there are anonymous ways of donating, receiving, and known ways. Can you talk a little bit about those two options and why you guys chose the option you did? <laughs> yes. So when we were first trying to find embryos, we went to this website called NRFA, National Registry for Adoption, Think of it like a dating site for people who are wanting embryos and people who are wanting to donate embryos to find each other. And, you know, so the people who are donating embryos, they can put up any qualifications that they want for, you know, Mm -hmm. we want our child to be public schooled. We want our child to be homeschooled. You know, I mean, you'll see all kinds of things up there. So we went there first to try to find an embryo. Um, but we were not chosen by anybody. So we made a profile and we quickly realized that we had some misconceptions. (laughs) We always thought that people who had extra embryos, oh no, we've accidentally made too many embryos. Oh no, what will we do? And then in swoop the mealings, and here we are, we will adopt your embryo. And yeah. that's not the way that it is. Okay. <laughs> people who have extra embryos, they've struggled with infertility, which is, we don't know this. We don't know this pain. It's a, it's a horrible pain from everything that we have heard from friends and read about. It's really, really rough. So they've struggled with this. They want to help a family that has gone through that also. Mm -hmm. So they see this as a very wonderful gift that they are giving somebody. Yep. They didn't want to choose us. (laughs) Because you've already had three kids. we had children, yes. And some people also took issue with the fact that we had genetic children. I think they were afraid of favoritism. Okay. Which is really funny because... We do show favoritism, (laughs) but it's it's to Larson. It's the other way around. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, I I recently read someone who was talking about they they want every 
kid to think that they're their favorite kid. You know, they're the favorite. So, so I'm sure you do that we, with your kids. Now we will chuckle about it often yeah. when we see Larson wrestling with his older sisters. He gets so much love and attention from those girls. Mm. He, they make his day and his week and his month so much better. And we'll just look at each other and we'll be like, can you believe all these people didn't want him to have any siblings at huh. home? It's just crazy. Yeah. And, well, I'm getting a little bit ahead of the fact that he in one way is older than your other kids, but is younger in born years. How, how do you measure time for an embryo adopted child? That's a good question, yes. So he was frozen waiting for his uterus for about five years. And huh. so he uh, he's actually conceived a, a similar time frame to our second child, okay. a couple months after her. So he's, okay. he's older than child number three and about the same age as child number two. Okay. As far as conception dates go. Which no one celebrates, I guess. Everyone celebrates birthdays instead of conception days, but it's true. It's an interesting thing. Yep. So we went through that website, okay. didn't get chosen, and we ended up finally we discovered that there were anonymous donation clinics. So these okay. are people who've gone through IVF, have extra embryos. They don't want to deal with finding the right the right people. Um, so they just sign their embryos over to the clinic itself, and then mm. the, then then the clinic has these embryos, and then they put them up on their website, and anybody can come and go through the process and then get one of those okay. embryos. Okay, wow. Mm-hmm. So it was more for just the practical reasoning of people didn't want to donate an embryo to someone with kids already. That led you to pursue the anonymous route. Yep, and and there's some. I think benefits and downsides to the anonymous donation route. So the, the big downside is we don't know the names or identities of his genetic parents as we typically refer to them. So they fill out a disclosure, which will basically disclose a lot of information as much as they want to about you know their height, their weight, their education, their age, uh, their race, um, what their grandparents died of. So real basic health information. But as, as our son gets older, right now he's one, I imagine, you know, as he gets older, teenager, a young man, he'll probably want to know who his actual genetic parents are. And as of now, there, there, there would be no resource for that. So that would be something for people to consider as well, mm-hmm. is there, there really isn't that option down the road. Okay. Which maybe is somewhat a pro and somewhat a con if yeah. you're doing a pros and cons right. list on this. And, and so uh, on the other website, the, a lot of the donors had stipulations like you can't feed the kid meats and, and they and they wanted to get together with the other genetic siblings that are scattered throughout the Midwest, things like that, which huh. we didn't really want to be a party to. Yeah. Um, and so this works better for us, but I know we know of adopted children who have relationships with their genetic parents as well, and that seems beautiful too in a way. Um, so yeah, it just if, if anyone wants to go this route, just be aware of that complication. Yeah, those are some things I wouldn't have really thought about because it, it is such a different thing. You know, no one 100 years ago was dealing with this. So it is a little bit of a new new world in that way. Uh, but can you tell us a little bit about your experience, the process then, just walk us through your journey now that we kind of have our minds wrapped around what this is? So the clinic that we were using was in Illinois. 
Still is, actually. <laughs> um, the other anonymous donation clinics are on the coast. So this is the, really the only one that would be within driving distance. So I had to find a doctor up here that was willing to do all of the required testing, that I like initial testing that I needed done. And then the clinic here needed to be willing to send certain results of certain tests back to the clinic in Illinois within a very small time frame. Okay. So I had to find that, and that was really tricky. So I first had to do a bunch of initial testing. I had to get something called a saline ultrasound. They had to do a bunch of, I had to go in a couple different times to get my uterus measured at different like parts and at different um, times in my cycle to make sure that they thought that I was a good candidate for this. Um, they were measuring all kinds of things in my blood. And so that was the initial testing. Then as we're leading up to the transfer, they're going to start, they started putting me on hormones. They were asking me if I wanted to do, what they call it, I think just like a natural cycle as opposed to going on all the hormones. And I basically said, I think that would work. But if you think that I have a better chance taking these shots, I'll take the shots. Mm -hmm. So, so we did that. There were, um, there was probably about, I think it was about a thousand dollars worth of just hormones that I had to take leading up to it. Okay. Um, so Mike was a real trooper giving me shots for a long time. It wasn't easy. <laughs> Always had to give her shots. Even when I was tired. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He yeah, did great. You have to poke her with the needle. Kind of a hero. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely a hero. Um, so we did that. And then finally at the exact right time, you know, so I, I call them, we're giving, we're constantly sending, um, uh, tests from my clinic to them. And finally, at the time, they, they'll schedule your transfer this day. This is the magical day when everything is going to happen. So mm -hmm. this was March of 2020. So this was early March. And I mean, I'm not joking. I think I came back on a Tuesday and every, and that Wednesday was like the Wednesday when everything wow. blew think, up with COVID. I think the transfer was on March 10th and March 11th mm -hmm. was the day that the airline shut down. No way. The NBA shut NBA, down. Yeah. And so people that were doing their transfers the next week, you know, imagine they had spent all the money on the yeah. shots and on the hormones and they were just all canceled indefinitely. Mm -hmm. Oh man. So, I mean, we literally got in in the nick of time. It's true. I, yeah, and I remember, you know, COVID was like bubbling. And I remember going down, and I think I stopped at Jimmy John's, and I was like, oh, like sanitizing my hands, because <laughs> we didn't know, you know, we didn't know hardly anything about it then. Well, but. yeah, because around then it was just like, oh, things might shut down for two weeks and right. everything, and we're like, awesome, I can like focus on things. It's like spring break comes early, right? Right, right. But so, okay, so you you got in there just in the nick just of time. In time. Wow. Okay, so. I went down to Illinois on my own because we have three daughters. It's complicated. So Mike stayed back. I went on my own. Yeah, good with that. So we had chosen, um, we had chosen our embryo, obviously prior to this. There were two embryos that we had kind of narrowed it down to. We were only looking at groups that only had one embryo left because we knew we only wanted to try once and we mm -hmm. didn't want to have a baby and then have there be another baby out there because... I mean, we kind of knew this at sibling. the time. Another sibling, baby. Right, I'm sorry. Another, like, full genetic sibling. Mm -hmm. We kind of knew this at the time, but especially now after having Larson, we'd literally run through a brick wall to go get any genetic siblings that were still out there. <laughs> so 
so I was looking at, we were, we were looking at these um, two different embryos that we were trying to decide between. One, um, his, or uh, we didn't know the gender of the baby, but the baby's parents looked very much like us. Probably, I mean, no one ever would have known. And then the other one. So were, the guy had a really long lock of hair. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay. Beautiful hair. I think, yep. honestly, I think he even had a little bit, just a little bit of like um, Native American in him. And Mike is just, I mean, we don't think this anymore now that we have Larson, but Mike is a little bit darker, at least in compared to me and his siblings. So we were like, no one would ever know. The woman was blonde. I mean, it was, yeah. Wow. So, and the other one was Indian. And we had kind of, so we were, basically we just had to decide, okay, we think that this um, Indian couple is probably our best bet. And, and by Indian, you mean India, Indian. Asian, yes, Asian, that's right. Okay. Asian Indian, yeah, right. right. So we had to decide, should we have an Indian baby? And mm -hmm. like from our perspective, yes. I mean, I know this is I know this is silly to say, but like when I was little, I always played with the dark dolls. I always wanted like the Hawaiian doll, the Asian doll. But you know, this is a baby. This isn't you know, like this isn't a toy that you're picking mm -hmm. out. So we were we were seeking some wise counsel. And while we love we wanted that for our family, we didn't know if we would be the best choice for that baby. Mm -hmm. um, just considering our circle. We don't have a ton of dark friends, and we just didn't know if that would be best for that baby. So we decided we'll go this other route. So I drive down to Illinois. Um, oh, I forgot to say. So I told them, okay, we're picking this baby, um, this embryo. And she said, well, there's only one left, so you have to pick a backup. And I was like, oh, well, I guess our backup is this, you know, this Indian embryo. So, yeah. okay. The embryo went, goes through a thawing process when they're getting ready to transfer. So the embryos occasionally do not survive the thawing process. Mm -hmm. But they said 90% of the time they do. And we naively <laughs> rounded up. 90% is 100%, right? <laughs> so, so we just completely shut the door on this thinking that we might have an Indian baby because 90% is 100%. So we go down there. I'm by myself. Probably 20 minutes prior to the transfer, the doctor comes in and tells me that the first embryo did not survive the thaw. So here I am, mourning that that we ha that you know we've lost this baby that w was ours was going to be. I mean, yeah, it's kind of complicated. But and then realizing I'm going to have an Indian baby, and so yep, they wheel me back there. I remember saying to the nurse, you know, she go so they go, so we'll go to your backup then. And I look at the nurse and I say, my backup's Indian, and she just goes, oh well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least that was an encouraging response, maybe. Yes, I don't know. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yep. Okay. So I haven't even told Mike yet. So I go back, they do the transfer. It's very fast. And um, they have me stay for a little while. And then I'm driving home and I call Mike and tell him, do you remember your reaction? You know, I think I was trying to survive with watching the three young girls by <laughs> myself during a pandemic. <laughs> I mean, I think you were like, what? Whoa. <laughs> So, um, you probably never in your life thought that's what you would be hearing on the phone someday. <laughs> I'm pregnant with a boy. <laughs> that's right. Um, so anyway, we were so happy. I took a pregnancy test six days later. It was very fast. I think that's earlier than what you were supposed to, but I was curious. And that came back positive, and I kept going back to my clinic, and um, the certain levels that needed to be rising were rising, and everything went smoothly from there on out. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing your story. I think probably 
if someone wanted to talk with you, you'd be open to that and you could probably fill in a lot more details there. But as we kind of conclude here, is there anything that you would want to say to first to any couples who might be open to considering pursuing an embryo adoption and then also maybe to people who would never think of it? What, what would you say to both of those kinds of people? Yeah, I would say if you're pursuing embryo adoption, I think, and I hope it's evident, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And uh, we're very open. We'd love to, to talk and answer any questions you may have. This is a brief podcast, so we can't go into every detail. But reach out or talk to someone. There's online resources. Take a look. And, um, yeah, I'd say go for it. Yes, it's been, I mean, Mike said that it was, we often call it the best decision we've ever made. I mean, Larson has just been the biggest blessing. And it's, from what I understand, I think we'll deal with this more later, but transracial adoption can be really tricky. But the fact that he's Indian brings up this conversation all the time. Mm -hmm. So we get to talk about it all the time, which is really sweet. Um, But yeah, he's so wonderful, and it was, um, it's was it been such a blessing, this process and this baby. So, yes, if anyone ever wants to talk about it or um, ask more details, we'd definitely be open to that. Okay. Well, and is there anything that you wanted me to ask you guys that I didn't, that you really wanted to share? We did not know he was a boy at the time of the transfer. Mm. Okay. So we have three daughters, and... Um, if given the choice, I think we would have gone for a fourth daughter. Okay. And so they actually, they he had extra testing, so they knew his his gender when he was an embryo, and they said, do you want to know? And we said, no, we didn't want to. Because mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit dystopian to pick a baby and take gender into account. And so uh, we were kind of hoping for a cute little Indian girl, and God had other plans. And so uh, we got our boy, and that was not the reason for the adoption, but uh, we're so happy that we have him. I was... I was pretty freaked out about having a boy because I was all girl. I love my girls. We were, we were loving, we were loving girl life. But I honestly am so happy that I have a boy. It's really so sweet. Um, I knew I kind of knew after he was born everything would be fine, and it was. Everything kicked in, and we have been loving having a boy. Well, thank you for sharing and for our church as we. Think about these things and talk about them. We're reminded of James's encouragement to us that true religion is caring for the widow and the orphan. And I think this is what you guys did in a very modern sort of way, caring for modern orphans that James could never have conceived of. Um, But you can conceive of uh, both uh, literally and figuratively. So... Um, On that note, if anyone asks, we'll give them your info, but thank you again. And you can learn more about them by emailing me at Aaron at clbcmn.org, and I will pass whatever question and information on that you would like Mike and Joanna to talk to you about. Um, So may, may there be good conversations in the days ahead. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron.